Thanks for downloading this Brum Radio podcast. For more programmes, visit brumradio.com. Imagine yourself as one of the crew of this faster-than-light spaceship of the future, sharing their curiosity to know the unknown, their tension, their readiness for inconceivable adventures. Baffling questions, astounding questions, that not even the world's greatest scientific minds can answer. Computers now have primary control of critical vehicle functions. You are listening to Geeky Brummy. Hello and welcome to the Geeky Brummy podcast. Hello, Keith Bloomfield. Hello. Hello, Callan Danes. Hi. Hello, Guy Helfer. Hello. Cracking on this week. So it starts off weird news. Usual. Three news stories. Pick our two favourites. I don't like this. I can't look over your shoulder this week. I know. So we have from the Los Angeles Times by Jen Harris. Eminem. Real offer. Eminem has Mom's Spaghetti pop-up restaurant at Coachella. Oh, I saw this. I love this. This is fantastic. From BBC News, no byline. Ooh. Nottingham mom goes bananas over Asda's £930 bill. What does she buy? And from The Guardian, British residents deported to Jamaica told to put on accent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know if that last one's a bit... Um, Let's start with the M&M, which when you first said it, I thought was those two things that... Like I've got pe- one of them's got peanuts inside it. <laughs> I was thinking, why? Why are two why are cartoon characters off an advertisement opening a restaurant? Prepare to lose yourselves in spaghetti. Eminem, oh. the artist and actor whose real name is Marshall Bruce Mathers the Third, has opened a mom's spaghetti pop-up restaurant at this year's Coachella Valley Music and Arts Festival. The name, of course, is a reference to the famous line in his 2002 song "Lose Yourself." It goes, "His palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are red, heavy. His vomit on his sweater already." <laughs> Mom's spaghetti. And fans this... everywhere have been singing about their salt sweaters, like Callan Danes, and Eminem's Mom's spaghetti ever since. This podcast has never sounded so white as you singing Eminem. Utes. <laughs> the booth is located in general admission between the Duel tent. The pop-up window is serving spaghetti, only instead of coming from Eminem's Mom's kitchen, it is made by a local commissary kitchen. You can have a takeout container of spaghetti for $9, add meatballs for $12, or get a spaghetti sandwich for $11, which is three fourths of pasta and a couple of rounds of mozzarella between slices of garlic bread. That'd be nice. I know, these, I I know these are concert prices, but that's that's some extreme pricing going on there. Yeah, I know, but it's like the it's like the nicheness of this. It's like you're never going to have Eminem's mom's spaghetti ever again. Well, the spaghetti is a cross between something you might have had at your high school cafeteria and a dish your mum may have actually served you when you were a child. Callan? You're closest to being a child in the studio. Do you, you, did you have spaghetti when you was growing up? Yes, I had spaghetti as I was growing up. Yes. There's something nostalgic about the way the noodles are the opposite of al dente. Oh, wow. <laughs> Most of the fans waiting in line at the booth made M&M connection as soon as they saw the name written in bright red neon. Just assumed it was related to him because we'd never heard of Mom's spaghetti anywhere else, said Gigi Garcia, a 23-year-old from San Diego. I want to know if it's just this year because he's playing or if it will be there next year. I bet the spaghetti is good. A brilliant name for a spaghetti restaurant, said Megan Black, a 22-year-old from Toronto. We're all drenched to it because of the name. No word yet on either, whether Eminem will be eating spaghetti before his Coachella closing set on Sunday. I mean, if they want to ship some over to the UK, you are a fu- you are a food reviewer. You are a food blogger. It's probably going to be some. slightly manky by the time it arrives, well, even I'm, by airmail. Well, I imagine they probably just send the recipe over to someone in the UK, have them make it, send it over to us. That wouldn't be the same, though, wouldn't it? You'd want 
proper mom spaghetti. Just put it into a jiffy envelope and post it over. Or my recommendation is, is just ask your own mom to make you spaghetti. Mom, for the same experience in the UK. Mom, can you make me some spaghetti, please? Yes. Or make it yourself. It's quite easy to do. We're going for the banana story now. Why not keep it foodie? A slip-up by supermarket Asda in an online order saw a woman charge £930 for a single banana. Okay, that's... I mean, I know food prices are going up, but that's an extreme amount now. That's what? Was it a big banana? Well, Bobby Gordon from Sherwood in Nottingham said she was shocked to be billed £930.11 for the piece of fruit instead of 11 pence. It prompted her credit card company's fraud team to stop the payment going through and texture I'd hope so. A texture about the more than £1,000 bill. I'd be worried if my credit if my credit card company wasn't declining a nine thousand pound payment for a banana. Miss Gordon said that Asra apologised for the computer error. I told my seven year old, "You must really enjoy this banana. You must cherish every mouthful." She said. <laughs> so she got the banana, didn't end up paying for it, and was charged too much. Yes. So she didn't pay because no, she got the, card, the banana. She got the banana, but she it didn't said pay it was nine hundred and three pounds yes. and eleven pence. No, nine thousand. £930. Oh, I thought it was 9000 No. Oh. But the card company declined it. Yes. Yeah. So she basically, the, 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 the moral of his story is she got a free banana. <laughs> well, I'm assuming she paid for it at the proper price eventually. Yeah. But, they probably but just how, do, how do they know? If the kid had eaten it, where's the evidence? Yes. They probably got a manager to come down and be like, right, yes, uh, yes you just piss this, 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 this. There you go. Back at the sensible price. I mean, this whole story is like the fact that she'd ordered a banana. Was it just the banana she'd ordered? Well, according- I mean, that's quite extreme. I've ordered one banana from Asda to well, be delivered to my house. Well, we have an extract of her bill, which has Asda Smart Price Pasta Shapes, two for 64 pence. Asda Growers Selection Baking Potatoes, two and a half kilos, £2.50. Asda Baked Beans in Tomato Sauce, four Ooh. pounds, 410 grams, two of those, £1.96. This woman has bad taste. Asda Shades, Shades, So Soft, 12 White Rolls. 12 roll. <laughs> that was £4.40. As to grow a selection, loose banana, order by number of bananas or select kilos per kilo, one, £930 in them pence. <laughs> as to smart fries, porridge oats, one kilo, 75 pence. And as to frosted frakes, one, 95 pence. I'm sorry, who has time to make proper porridge from proper porridge oats in the morning? It's quite easy, Callan. <laughs> you just put the oats in, you put hot milk in, and they're done. Sometimes he says thing and things, and my mind just goes, Boom! It's like they, somebody has to push the trolley around to get this order in yeah. in, in the store. Because as I'm aware that when they put, when you put these orders through, somebody has to go around the shop yes. buying yeah, yeah, your yeah. groceries, and, and that's why you get and the often often go in. I can't be asked to walk up that aisle, so I'm just going to put this thing in instead. <laughs> you ordered lemonade. Surely, when they scanned this through at the self checkout at the end, somebody would have clocked up the idea of like, I ain't bought a lot. Why has it cost me over a grand? I, I don't know. Could be a central distribution site. Crazy. No, cool. they, what, they, no, they come from your local stores, don't they? Wait for the Scatman Ryan for this end of this sentence. Ms. Gordon and her husband were baffled when they saw the bill and did not anticipate the ensuing banana drama. We <laughs> <laughs> thought it was just a silly mistake and they couldn't possibly be charging for her, she said. But when I got a text from my credit card company, it said they'd detected fraud and that they'd tried to charge me for it. A spokesperson for Asda apologised, saying it slipped up with the bill. The, the- the whole point of this story is just to throw these puns in, isn't it? Whilst our bananas are excellent, even we agree they're not worth that much and it was clearly a glitch in the system. We would like to thank Ms. Gordon for keeping her eyes peeled and Aye. flagging this error to us and we, insure, we investigate to show it doesn't happen again. A very expensive banana. 
That is a very expensive banana. Do you think we should skip the other story? I think we should steer yeah. well clear of the other story. It's just, yeah. Look on that Guardian website, though, because it's worth What's a read. The, just uh, give, the give us the headline once more so people can go view it if they want to. British residents deported to Jamaica told to put on an accent in government leaflet. Leamington Comic Con was held on the 14th of April 2018 in the beautiful All Saints Church at Royal Leamington Spa. Keith, Callan and I popped down and it was good fun, wasn't it, Keith? It was surprisingly good fun. Why did I say surprisingly? It's not surprisingly. It was <laughs> genuinely, good it was fun. genuinely good fun. I wasn't surprised that it was fun. <laughs> yes. They've got some amazing... And it was actually a comics-focused Comic-Con for a change. So no media guests. It was all purely about comics. So we had some great industry big names and a lot of small press people as well supporting the small press and independent comic scene it was a, it was a very good lineup and a, and a real nice venue kind mm-hmm. of different from your usual mm. kind of um yes. office block type formal venue it was um a, a religious event <laughs> it was a, it was a it's like it was a cathedral of comics it was a cathedral of comics yeah it was good yeah. there was a lot I mean, it was quite a, quite nice when the sun was coming in we need yes. more stained glass windows need... it was good we need more Comic Cons held in churches. Yeah, it was it was a beautiful place to go, and it had some really nice warm vents, which everybody was surprised at when they walked on the well, first. Oh yeah, I yeah. think the first time when you walked over them, and having it been a bit chilly outside, was nice. The later the afternoon got, <laughs> it wasn't quite so pleasant. <laughs> but there was loads of cosplay on there as well. Um, oh yeah. god, there's some great yes. stuff. Mm. Um, there's um, a incredible Hulkbuster yeah Yeah, friend of the show John Nursel was there with his uh, Dream to Believe comic group which collects money for charity they're always a really noble thing that they do which is they turn up at these events don't ask for money don't ask for anything like that but collect for charity whilst they're there so it's really good really really nice set of guys yeah lovely guys and I really want that Hulkbuster column it was huge but the guy looked great out of it as well yeah in a kind of almost like all-in-one like bodysuit. Yeah, he was like in a mocap suit. I was half yeah. expecting him to. It was, like, it was pretty cool. I thought and, it was um, Andy Serkis at one point before he turned around. Yeah, some nice Star Wars cosplay there as well, which was good. It was good because mm. it was right on the route where all the buses are going, so mm. there were quite a few perplexed faces out of the buses. Oh. And they're kind of like, is that a bunch of stormtroopers over there? Uh, yeah, I think my favourite bit was when I was walking to pick my wife up in the train station. There was a couple walking back the other way, and one of them points at the stormtrooper and goes, look, Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to see that it's still relevant in this day and age but um, some fantastic creators there so you mentioned John Wagner was there yeah uh, half the creative team behind Judge Dredd yeah yeah Strontium Dog and Rock of the Reds as well which mm. is his new comic book which was doing a fantastic trade I think yeah well they'd, um, I don't think it's been that long since it's been collected mm-hmm. um, so that was that was um, that was there for uh, John to sign which I think a lot of people took advantage of uh, and he was kind of talking about the new series that's coming soon. It's, I think it probably yes, won't be until kind of the two, end. Of, I think it's, it yeah, Rock the God, um, yes. which would be quite quite an interesting title, um, mm-hmm. moving on a little bit from where it was in the original series. Um, but that would be quite that would be quite good. Yeah, um, it's quite it's, you know it's 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 interesting seeing somebody who's had a, such a prolific career uh, in in comics in you know doing these these shows and kind of meeting their fans and talking about. You know all the stuff that that they were talking about, and you know he'd got some people had given him these cupcakes with Judge Dredd on the top, and there was a lady there that was selling um, um, cup cozies, cup, cup warmers, yeah, and mm. Judge Dredd cup cozy. Um, yeah, it was good. And I mean, John did the panel, uh, which was quite interesting, really, for mm-hmm. uh, people to hear kind of just quite how much he's been involved with yeah. over the years, because um, it's, it's quite a big career. Because I mean, before he started doing 2000 AD, he was doing other bits and pieces before that as well. So. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, um, yeah, talking about 2008, Al Ewing was there as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was, I, I was, I managed to snag a little bit of a kind of chat with Al uh, towards the end of the day, which was great because he's got a lot of um, interesting stuff coming up mm-hmm. uh, for Marvel. So he's doing great guns at Marvel at the moment. So he's kind of part of the um, trio of writers who are dealing with the Avengers No Surrender series, which has been a weekly event comic for Marvel, uh, which is kind of realigning uh kind of the marvel universe bringing some characters back into the stream and then he's doing a weekly you are deadpool book which is which sounds really interesting kind of like a choose your own adventure type thing with deadpool uh, and then he's bringing the hulk uh which will now be referred to as the immortal hulk mm-hmm. uh, because during the avengers no surrender series there's been some re- revelations about the hulk as a character and why he is and how he survives um, so now they're going to be entering t- into a new, whole new series uh, with the Hulk, which was this should the, be quite interesting. Was this the big grey Hulk that I sent a picture of during the week? No, that's the Weapon oh. H. Weapon, yeah, Weapon H Hulk, which is kind of a mish. It's it's scientists messing with things they shouldn't mess all with. I, all I saw was it's a mix of Wolverine and Hulk, and I yeah. was like, yeah, that sounds cool. It's, a, it's, a, it's <laughs> another series, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, it's a, another series. <laughs> that's a much better name, actually. Hulkverine. Hulkverine. But um, yeah, so I'm I'm wondering what's going to happen with because we've got the uh, the awesome Hulk, uh, Amadeus Cho Hulk, as well. So I'm kind of wondering where all of these various Hulks are going to end up because She Hulk is now going to be part mm-hmm. a bigger part of other bits and pieces. So I'm, yeah, it should be an interesting time for Marvel fans over the next few months, mm-hmm. particularly with um, Avengers: Infinity War coming out. So that's going to yes, bring people very, back very into the whole kind of Marvel fold. So that'd be quite cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, there were a couple of other good creators there. Yeah, I mean, there's some fantastic small press we spoke to. We spoke to uh, Tony Cooper was there, who we've spoken to previously on the show. Yeah. He was promoting his Kickstarter, which is still on. So if you've not contributed, go and contribute to that well, now. It's, it's volume Club. two of the Murder Club, isn't it? Yes, which was, he successfully kickstarted the first volume. Yeah. So kickstart with the second volume is currently running. It's a great little book. I would recommend it. Um, we spoke to Attic Comics. Yeah, they were a good bunch of guys. They yeah. were, they were really fun. We spoke to the awesome comics pond cast guys as well. They were good fun to chat to. Callan, you failed the Twisted Dark Challenge at the T-Bob Comic Stand. I did fail the Twisted Dark Challenge, yes. Have you read any more of the book yet? I haven't got back to it yet, but, but I'm what looking you did to start wrote. it soon. Yeah. But yeah. what you did wrote, you looked kind of shocked by it. Yeah, it's very much... It's quite heavy. Like, it mm. hits you quite hard. Yes. <laughs> um... Keith, yeah. was any... But it's good, I'd recommend it. Keith, you were having a run around. I believe you picked up some comics from the Etherington Brothers. Uh, I picked up a, um, a collection of artwork that Lorenzo had done, um, which I'd been after for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, managed to get a nice print with that as well, all signed up, which is quite cool. So that's going to go up on the on the wall at mm-hmm. some point. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, it was good to catch up with those guys because seen, we've seen them a couple of times now. Yeah. Um, but they're, they're just such good good folks doing a lot of work they, they've just run a kickstarter campaign for their successfully comics tutorials which have been online but gathering them together into a book for the first time which will be really nice uh i managed to pick up the wide up wrong uh, book from uh rachel smith who was mm. on the kickstarter panel uh, she's great i've picked up a couple of her books before and um, failed to back the book when it was on kickstarter <laughs> regardless of tweeting it and saying to other people to do it i kind of forgot to do it uh, but i managed to pick a couple of copy of that up but it meant i got a sketch uh and a kind of you know uh, nice. signed yes. copy of that and i also managed to get a sketch off uh john davis hunt who was there 
who's an artist I quite like because I'm currently reading his and Warren Ellis's The Wildstorm book at DC. Nice. Uh, so I got a nice sketch of um, a character called Bendix, mm-hmm. which is going to go on the wall as well, which is kind of cool. But yeah, it was <laughs> great. I mean, you know, it was uh, a lot of people there had a lot of time for the fans. Yeah. Um, chatting with them, and it was uh, a really nicely organised event. Yeah. Talking about the panel um, for crowdfunding the comic, uh, Sarah Grayley, Susie Gander, and Rachel Smith's yeah. panel was amazing. It was really yeah. good fun to hear that. And Su- uh, Susie's comic was very, very personal and talking about her time basically fighting cancer mm. and how she overcame that. And it was really interesting to hear her story. Sarah Grayley, you may know her from the Amazing Poopy Butthole series from Rick and Morty. And Rachel Smith as well. She's a very personal story. To think yeah, the um, Wild Up Wrong is, is about her um, kind of ongoing um, battle with depression and anxiety and stuff. So it's another, it's another one of those great books that it just kind of makes people feel when they read it that these things that trip them up in life isn't something they're going through by themselves. Um, so it's a good, good book. Go out and get it. And um, all of them, really, they're all kind of, all their Kickstarter projects are kind of almost semi-autobiographical bits and pieces, mm-hmm. which wouldn't be picked up by kind of your mainstream medias. Um, so it's a good way of, of getting these comics out that, you know, people are buying into them directly from the artists, which are really uh, it's, nice. It's pretty much like a pre-order service now, a lot of Kickstarters. It's because when it is fully funded, you're pretty much guaranteed to get a copy. Yeah, and a lot of the kind of the rewards that you get as well are kind of really nice incentives uh, to them because they they don't over kind of complicate the incentives. Yeah, it's usually quite. You get the book, you get the book plus some stickers. badges and stickers, or you yeah. get the book and a kind of maybe there's going to be a kind of small personalized um, sketch as well. So it's it's always well worth. You get you val- very very good value for money um, and from that. Some great tips about what pitfalls to avoid as well. Yeah, yeah. Some real kind of stuff that people would just forget. Yeah, simple simple things like talking about Kickstarter. Um, I've just looked, and The Murder Club, part two, yes. Useless Deaths, has about five days left to run. So um, so get on that if yeah, you're not on that. Uh, you can visit Tony's website at hungryblackbird.co.uk if you want to look at his other works as well. So now we're going to hand it over to the amazing Mr. John Wagner, who's going to tell us a little bit about his career, his time at 2000 AD, uh, the current issue, volume one of Rock of the Reds, which has come out as a trade paperback, and the new issue soon, which is going to be Rock of the Gods. From Dread, Strontium Dog... Star Wars, Aliens, Robo Hunter, and finally now Rock of the Reds. He's gone under a number of names. I've, I've gone through your pseudonyms, John. I hope you don't mind. So we've got John Howard. Is that one? T. Yes. Grover. Uh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, Matt Strott. Uh, Mike Stott. Mike Stott is it? Okay. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember them all. <laughs> my favourite. One of my favourites. Keith K W E F. Yeah, a bit of a Keith, Keith Ripley, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, Brian Scutter? Scooter. Scooter. Yeah. Right, there Scooter. you go. Good. <laughs> Excellent. But we all know him as John That's Wagner. a few of them. Yeah. <laughs> the funny thing is, the uh, back in the days when I actually used to win awards, the, uh, <laughs> the, they reinstated the Eagle Awards. And I won first, second, and third under different names. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant, that's great. So, we're gonna, I know we're going to move on to Rock of the Reds. Um, I've read it, reread it again this week. Brilliant, loved it, absolutely loved great. it. But yeah. just going to start with just a couple of general questions, mm. if you don't mind, John. Um, what drives you as a writer to keep writing? It's not. I mean, you've done a few jobs in your time, haven't you? You worked on a dredger and yeah. you, you managed a, a stately home. I think you've, you've talked yeah, about prior, yeah. prior to that. But what drives you to keep writing as a job? Because uh, it, it's easy. 
<laughs> well, when you've worked on a dredging barge, you find writing quite easy. You know? <laughs> I, I went up to Cromarty to try and give it all up, and I was uh, a caretaker of a mansion up there, and uh, but they didn't pay any money, so I had to take a job as well. So okay. I took a job on a dredging barge, and, and I also worked for George Wimpy building houses and doing a lot of things, and in the end I thought... To hell with it. I'll just write. It's a lot easier. I can earn this in a couple of days that I have to turn up at Wimpy's every day for. Yeah. So uh, Wasn't there a story with the stately home? Didn't it get burgled while you were looking at it? Yeah, yeah, well, that's what ended my tenure there. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody in, in the village knew I was out on the dredging barge overnight. Right, OK. So, of course, they just... They just cleared the, the lead off the roof. <laughs> and then didn't Alan Grant come and manage that stadium? Oh, no, it's not he, your he subject He was there here, first, uh, right. and I took over from him when he left. <laughs> so, I mean, you could do another job. You could do a... a what is it gets you up in the morning, gets you writing? I, I Well, it's, if it's a good story, I, I really enjoy it. Like Rock, you know, I yeah. positively can't wait to get to the office to get working on it. Right. And some things, you know, you have to drag me with a team of horses to, to do it. But uh, when it's a good story, I just yeah. love doing it. Brilliant. Alan and I, when Alan and I worked together and we were doing Dread, we would often sit down with a, a copy of The Guardian or whatever newspaper we had and, and go through it and check each story and say, well, how would that apply to the 22nd century? How could, how could you use that? How could you satirise it mm. in the 22nd? And the number of ideas we got, just from reading the news, from current events. Do you think, I think that tells it for 2008, especially in the 80s, because you've got the Cold War metaphors and you've got mm. fatties and all this sort of thing, haven't you? The rise of different things that we're now seeing. Yeah. The, I've heard you say that you're not overly influenced or by comics, it's more um, prose, is that right? Yeah, but uh, thinking about it recently, I think my biggest influence is probably the comics I read as a kid. Okay, because you were brought uh, up in America for part of that time. Yeah, but I didn't read comics and okay. I couldn't afford them. <laughs> right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was only when I moved over to this country at 12 and I got a paper round and I would read all the comics in the news agents before I went out, and as I walked along, I'd be reading people's comics and stuffing these wrinkled things through their door <laughs> when I was finished. But it really... Um, well, there'd be mainly the DC Thompson titles, the, the Victor, the Hornet, uh, Hotspur, that sort of thing. I was very fond of... I thought DC Thompson's were yeah, by right. far the best. And also some of the some of the funnies, you know, I quite like them too. And when I quit my paper round, my sister started getting girls' comics and started reading them, and they were even better. You know, I really liked the girls' comics because the stories were really well put. I mean, the boys were pretty good, yeah, but the girls' comics, the stories had to be good. So, uh, did you remember any of the writers from back then who you were reading? Did uh, you meet any well, of them in fact, well? we stole some of them <laughs> <laughs> uh, when when I left. Uh, D.C. Thompson's and eventually went down to IPC. We got the names of quite a few D.C. Thompson contributors. Uh, right. Uh, mainly on the boys' side, it would be people like Alan Hebden's dad, yes. Eric Hebden, and uh, gosh, I can't even remember their names now, but there were some good writers. But the thing about D.C. Thompson's was they, compared to IPC, would have uh, like two editorial staff. 
DC Thompsons would have six. So they got in a lot of really raw material, you know, stuff that really needed work done, and they worked on it. And, you know, so that they made writers appear better than they were. Okay. Uh, and uh, it also it was, a, it was such a good training ground because, you know, when you got a bad story and you had to rewrite it and it taught you, you know, what yeah. was good in the story, what to cut, what to accentuate. So uh, it was... So the job of a good editor, essentially, yeah. is to help format the story. That's right, ready. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and some of the material, I mean, you, you wouldn't... Could never have appeared in a comic unless it had been heavily worked on. Right. Okay. Yeah. Did you? Do you got master got that growing up in comics? Have you or coming through? Well, it's something that I applied as I moved on in comics. Like when Pat and I were doing Battle, and all, yeah. the, all that training that we had came in really useful. Yeah. And then the magazine. Did, did you apply that when you? Because t- you you edited the magazine did you find yeah well I sort of originated it and, yeah uh, yeah but I mean these lessons are they're, they're part of you and once you uh, okay how do you find the editorship now uh, both in two I, 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 I would never never do it again you wouldn't no too much no, hard work or too, <laughs> you, you could spend 24 hours a day seven days a week and still not turn out a product that you were entirely happy with Right, okay. Uh, I didn't feel that they paid editors enough. I mean, you, you, you could have worked solidly on it. And, you know, there's always something you can yeah, do yeah, to yeah. it. So in the end, I, I thought, well, better just to concentrate on my own work. You yeah. know, and feel happier doing that and not worrying about what am I going to do with it, you know, all <laughs> that. And, okay, yeah. Oh, this artist, i got to get rid of him. He's so terrible. Yeah, you know, yeah, this yeah. artist, he's really good. I need him, but he wants more money, you know, and all that. All, All the, the kind headaches. of cares an editor has, and I don't need them. <laughs> it's much easier being a freelance. Yeah. Plus, if you don't feel like working, you don't. You know, as long as you've got a bit of money in the bank, you know, you, yeah. you just don't have to turn up. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you find the working day, is it, because you mentioned a minute ago that you go in, you go somewhere to write. Is that how you work it? Or? No, I have an office. At home, sort of thing. Yeah, at yeah. home, yeah. Uh, I used to work seven days a week. Uh, in long hours these days if I work two days a week it's a lot right okay yeah but I, I've got a small holding so I need to run that as well so you've, you've come through all the, the weekly comics in 2000 AD and you've worked for DC um, and we found ourselves now um, with Rock of the Reds how, yeah. did, how did that come about well about uh, I don't know how long ago it was 20 25 years ago really okay Alan and I were working on a new anthology comic that we it was going to rival 2000 AD you know you're always going to rival <laughs> 2000 AD and so we worked out a number of stories and one of them was a football story and uh, you know what could we do that was new in football an alien footballer and uh, once we had that idea, I mean, we'd been working on another, we'd done work on another story called Doomlord that was had a lot of similarities to it, and we knew it would work. Okay. So we wrote the first script, and then we decided that if we went ahead with the anthology comic, we'd both end up bankrupt. <laughs> so we stuck this script away in a drawer, and... Uh, about three years ago I was looking for something new to do and I went through the drawer and I pulled out first I pulled out our pornographic story brilliant I look forward to seeing that one (laughs) (laughs) it it was called um, 
Randy Truckers in Space. <laughs> <laughs> That's copyrighted. And uh, <laughs> anyway, I, I pulled it out and I thought, oh, this is really funny. Look on it as carry on yep. shagging in space. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, I said, this is really funny. I, I'll, I'll work this up into a, a full script. And uh, so I presented it to Shah Nazir at BHP. Okay. And although I think he had quite a few reservations, they agreed to publish it. Oh, okay. I went back to the drawer and I pulled out Rom of the Rovers, which was our original, you know, spoof title for Rock of the Reds. And I read it and I thought, oh, okay, this this one will go. So uh, I wrote that up into because I'd promised uh, BHP a script and okay. I wasn't giving them the porn script anymore, so I wrote it up into a full book and sent it and they loved it and so here no, we are. for those that don't know BHP is um, is it Black Hearted Press yes, there's a Scottish Black small press, press indie, yeah. indie publisher that's um, right yeah. Re- really interesting stuff um, yeah they do a, a wide cross section yeah. of stuff it's very interesting though. yeah so did you want to give a little summary of the, the story of Rock of the Reds just to sort of whet everyone's appetite because it is for sale at your table oh, it I've, is I've, yeah it's, uh, it. it's very good uh an alien being pursued by assassins uh, lands on Earth and uh, takes the identity of the first person he meets, which happens to be bad boy footballer Kyle Dixon. And uh, so he's a shape changer, so he changes into Kyle's shape and he miniaturizes Kyle and sticks him away in the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> and then he takes his place and the he gradually learns a love for football. Uh, I, I don't want to go too much further into the yeah. story, but yeah. uh, he becomes... Kyle was a brilliant footballer who was wasting it because of his character, but Rock uh, is a different kettle of fish, and so he, uh, he uh, fulfills Kyle's footballing potential. Yeah. Uh, so much so that Real Madrid are after him. <laughs> so uh, just natural drama really yeah, it's, yeah. it's just I mean you don't a story has to surprise you it's got to thrill you it's it's got to yeah keep you in a state of tension yeah to be enjoyable completely yeah mm. yeah it, re- it really does yeah. um but you also play on that sort of dark humor of 2018 so we combine the both yeah that, was that Something you'd always you'd planned from the beginning. I can't write a story without humour. I've heard you say that before. That is what's really interesting. The nearest that. thing I came to it was Button Man. Right, OK. Uh, the first Button Man had very little humour in it. But uh, as I'm writing, if I see the humour in a situation, I can't avoid doing <laughs> something with it. You know, yeah. I, I like a laugh, and I know most comic readers do too. And I think that sets the standard for 2008. There's very, very little in 2008 even now that's uh, hasn't got a little smirk, a little yeah, wink, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, I yeah. think so. Yeah, I remember it coming in. Um, I write for Down the Tubes with John Freeman, and I remember oh, right, it, yeah. initially it came in um, as Rom of the Reds. Yeah, yeah. So that was one step from Rom of the Rovers. So we yeah, we gra- <laughs> it changed gradually. We realised that uh, oh, there was an announcement that Mattel had got the rights to Rom Space Night, and we thought. We are not going into court against Mattel, <laughs> yeah. uh, so it became Rock. rock. But it's okay. a Rock's a much better name. Yeah, I think it's, so. It's good yeah. hard name. You know, yeah. So. Plus, it's good for puns. <laughs> yeah, it is. 
And the character design, was that completely down to Dan or did you? Because I know, without spoiling anything, there's a very distinctive lump on the yeah. character's head, isn't there? I yeah. think I sent him an illustration of Hellboy. Oh, okay. Right. And I said, you know, something like this. And, but the, it's all Dan, really. So. Okay. And it's funny, if you look at the beginning of the story, uh, Rock's horns are a wee bit more flaccid. But as Dan gets more confidence, these horns stand right up, you know, <laughs> right? bigger okay. and bolder, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know. You oh, compare, compare rock in the early part to rock at the end, and it's a much, for, much more forceful thrusting rock. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so rock, rock, tumescent. <laughs> the two under panel, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> the um, I have to say, without spoiling anything for it, but there is one moment where um, the two, my two favourite villains in comics for years, turn up, um, who are like biker aliens. They were cracking. Was that your idea, or? Well, it, the yeah, well. Yeah, I put them on the bikes, right, okay, but Dan right. drew them. I said, yeah. they look like rock, but not quite like rock. Right, know? okay. And they're not so good at the transformation, so when they do it, it will be a bit sort of amorphous and mutant okay. looking. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's a real highlight. I love that. I love yeah. that moment. Yeah. The, um, do you enjoy writing rock more than, say, Dread or Johnny Alpha or something like that? Is there something... Cause it, it seems less cynical in a way to me. I yeah, don't know. I yeah. do, yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there, were, there was a time when I loved writing Johnny Alpha and Dread just as much, but or maybe nearly as much. But yeah. uh, Rock is a real pleasure. Yeah, it's, I just like the character. He's he's uh, got a lot of charm. Yeah. Mm. Do, do you think that's there's a different motivation to write maybe rock than the sort of hard-edged dread for example the hard-edged dread story at one point dread was almost a different idea a different story every week but you've got the benefit of the 20 page comic now with yeah rock. well that that changes things anyway i mean it's a different sort of pacing yeah. to it and uh uh many other changes uh i probably write it for a more wide-ranging age group I, I really want kids to pick up rock, yeah, and I want adults to be able to appreciate it on roughly the same level. Well, yeah, I so it, it isn't thing. cynical. Yeah. Really. yeah, it's less, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's still that little wink. Oh yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. The cop's great in it as well. I love the cop. <laughs> yeah, really good. Um, there's going to be a rock sequel. You, you, you yeah, I'm it? working on it now. Yeah, it's called Rock the God. <laughs> All right. Okay. So Rock becomes a god, <laughs> which interferes a wee bit with his football. <laughs> cool. Yeah. And um, when's that due? Do you know when that's? Oh, it'll be. I reckon you won't see a book until next January at least. Right. Okay. Because um, Dan's just starting on it now. Uh, and you're going to release it as monthlies. Uh, yeah, we'll do it monthlies. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I notice you're also on Comic House as well, aren't you? You've gone onto a couple of digital apps. I with believe it. so. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I don't pay much attention. Shah handles all that. Right. Okay. Cool. And you, you enjoying working with BHP? Yeah, they're a good, good bunch. Yeah, cool. Mm. Nice one. How's the Dread series going? Do we know? The TV series? I have no idea. No idea around that one? No, no? I'm okay. not kept informed. Okay, okay. And the other one I noticed is Button Man got optioned a couple of years ago for a movie, didn't it? It's well? been optioned off and on for the past nearly 30 years now. Right, okay. Uh, 25 years anyway. Uh, it was optioned by Lakeshore, 
then some other bunch, I can't remember who they were, you know, big companies. Yeah. Uh, and now it's uh, with uh, Warners and J.J. Abrams. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. It's been with them for five years, uh, and we're getting pretty fed up with it all. So, <laughs> is that, do you just kind of accept that that's how it is now, is it? Uh, well, I would really like to see someone getting it made. Uh, uh, I think my mistake probably was not to give the rights to Alex Garland, who did the, uh, yeah. the Dread film, because he was very keen to do it. I know you're a fan of the film as well, are you? Yeah, I like, I like yeah. the second Dread film. Yeah, yeah, I think we all would, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Cool, and at the moment you've got Strong Team Dog running in the prog as well. That's right, yeah. yeah enjoying that again? Not as much as rock. Right, OK. <laughs> <laughs> but it's nice to have Johnny back. And, yeah. Uh, um, Wolf's son. Back, yeah, Wolf's son, yeah, 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 yeah. Nice, really gorgeous design of Wolf's son as well. Yeah, you, you can tell, but it's not the same. That's right. Of, yeah, yeah. I, I just gave them to Carlos and said, "Do something." <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's great to work with really good artists because you don't have to do so much thinking yourself. Yeah, brilliant. Mm. And what else have you got? Is there anything else you've got coming out? At the moment? Um, yeah, I'm working on a new story that will be appearing in the magazine once again with Carlos, using a, a character he designed probably about thirty years ago, but. I could never get a decent story out of it. We called him Sam Seven originally. He was okay. going to be a detective. Uh, but there was something too clean-cut about the character, and I don't do clean-cut characters very well. <laughs> but uh, decided we were going to do something new, and I couldn't get this character out of my mind. So uh, I spent probably two months just thinking about trying to get something that I wanted to write uh, you know, you could you could come up with a story, but unless you actually want to write it, you're coming up with crap. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, so I finally got a story. It's uh, called Spectre. And, oh, okay. Uh, I won't say too much about it because I don't want to give away the the plot. And... Mega city based or no? No. Okay. Right. Future based, but right. not mega city. Brilliant. Excellent. Okay. Three bits of advice I give to people generally are write. You know, if you want to be a writer, write. You've got to keep writing. Don't get stuck on one thing. Write it, improve it. And when you feel that you're, you're in a hole, put it aside. Go on to something else. The more you do, the better you get. And that's very true of artists as well. Well, it's just like I was saying with Dan. He started off with this slightly limp rock and ended up with this thrusting young rock you know and it, it, you could see the improvement and the confidence grow as he went through and so you got write or draw but keep doing it the second thing is a lesson I learned at DC Thompson's which is there's nothing you do that you can't do better so you've got to be really self-critical when you've done something look at it look at every aspect of it and ask yourself, how could I make that better? How could I make that character more distinctive? Or, you know, how could I improve that dialogue? You know, and just look at every aspect of what you've done and keep improving. And there's nothing I've ever written that I couldn't make better if I had the time to go back to it. So, and most of the stories that I write, by the time I've finished them, I've been over sections of it maybe 30 times. You know, because every time I sit down to write this, to to do any more on the story, I go over everything I've done, and sometimes I never get any further than that. I'm 
I'm changing the stuff that I've done or sometimes I'm ripping the whole thing up and going on to something else. And the third thing is be nice to your editor because <laughs> the editor's the guy that pays the money. And I've always made a point of being really nice to my editors and getting on really well. <laughs> Unless I decide I'm not going to work for them anymore. I say, you <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you run your scripts through people? Do you have like trusted people you send them out to? Or? Not very often, but I've been getting my partner to read my rocks and my specters recently. Yeah. Uh, but no. No, when you work with Alan, how, how did that work? Would you write, you'd write almost separate things and then... No, no, no. we would sit down and we'd, uh, we'd talk uh, the bones of the story together and then we'd just write it frame by frame. Okay. You know, which c can be laborious, but it can be really quick too. Uh, like one day we wrote nine episodes in one day. You know, which is yeah. good. And they weren't they weren't bad episodes. What, we were, what was that? I've heard you say that before. What, what? Doomlord. It was, right, okay. I think it was Doomlord. Yeah. It was one of these Eagles through. There were three-page episodes, yeah. so it wasn't such a feat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, the episodes were quite good. I, I'm not sure it was Doomlord. I think we usually took more time over that laughing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you never wrote any of the photo stories, did you? Did you ever yeah, write oh, yeah. Did you? Yeah, we wrote all of them. Did you ever participate in them? I've, I, no, I often go through those did. stories no. and try and spot people in no. them. No. No? Okay. No, I didn't yeah. have the time. It was really low budget, you know. Yeah it, yeah, it cost the same in the end as the artwork. You know, we thought it would cut down, but it didn't. It didn't cut expenses. <laughs> Some of them seemed to just go into a tunnel somewhere or you walk out on the street and do something, and yeah. it's, uh, it was a bit like that, was it? Back yeah, I, I didn't uh, have much to... I would suggest... We would suggest ways that they could do things, like Doom Lord's spaceship would stick a, a light in a colander. <laughs> 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 We would suggest things like that, uh, yeah. but we never went out on the filming, and it was really up to them to sort it. Yeah, 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 okay. Uh, 2008 has been through quite a lot of hands over its lifetime. Uh, it's now seems to have settled in with Rebellion. Do, do you find them quite useful, quite great, good grip? Rebellion have saved it, and I think it would have gone. It's, uh, they've got a, quite an imaginative uh, attitude to publishing, and... Uh, I think it's largely the compilations that are keeping the comic going and all the other ancillary streams of income that they, they derive. They've done very well. I'm very pleased that they have it. And they're also releasing a lot of the old material now, aren't yeah, they, as well? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, good um, to see. You've got some Mac 1 on your table, I think, of you. Uh... Yeah, I, although I didn't write <laughs> as many of those as uh, I'm credited with. Right, OK. No, it was a way when I was helping Pat with his uh, early 2000 AD creation, uh, the publisher wasn't willing to pay me. Right. So Pat would write scripts and pay them to me. I think Pat mentions that in his book, doesn't he, I think? Does yeah. he? Yeah, yeah I, think, I believe he does, yeah. Yeah. Pretty much, I, I mean, I might have written a couple of Mac ones, but right. uh, I told them I didn't want any royalties from it. They said they weren't paying them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> did you? No, I, I went to the. Uh, I know a couple of people in the audience went to the 40th anniversary. Did yeah. uh, was that a good event for you? That was wonderful. Amazing event, wasn't it? Yeah, really in terms of rock sales, it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the um, if there's a 60th, do you think we should get the? Um, <laughs> Will we get the John Wagner Pat Mills shed? Do you think we could recreate the shed somehow? <laughs> you could probably <laughs> buy it. <laughs> You've seen a picture of it. I haven't. haven't no, no, I haven't seen. No, no. no. Tell, uh, I went. Uh, I went to Dundee for a con, and uh, this uh, 
2000 AD fan who worked for the local newspaper took me around on a t tour of all the old places and I said, okay. listen, I want to go across to Wormit, where we, this is across the Tay where we worked, and see if I can find that house and get a picture of the shed. So Wormit had changed. I could, I, it took me a long while to figure out what house it was and we knocked on the door and this wee woman opened it. I said, would you mind if we took some pictures of your shed? And said, no. Oh, no, again. <laughs> so we went round and it was still there, the shed. And it was great to see it. Yeah, yeah that must have been a, a great little... I mean, I mean, Pat mentions in his book that you and him had a few words. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I think what split us up is we... I mean, we, it was a space about this wide. Right, OK. Right? And we had this paraffin heater in it that was putting out fumes. I don't know how that affected us. And <laughs> wasps flying everywhere. And, and Can't in the end, warm either, surely. It must have well, been... well, with the paraffin heater, it was warm. <laughs> it was OK, yeah. <laughs> And uh, in the end, we ended up standing sort of toe-to-toe -to -toe about to slug each other, and we said, all right, it's time, time to bring this partnership to an end. <laughs> it's just because it's, you know, so tough, and, and, and you don't know quite what you're doing, and, and it leads to tensions, and you want to do it one way, and he wants to do it another, and you just, nobody's yeah. sure. Any young bucks back then, you know, headstrong, I suppose, with what you were trying to yeah, say. Yeah, pretty much, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you, you, it can be quite difficult sort of working your way into a company. Like we ran out of paper and we had to type up this text story and Pat had this tracing paper. So he says, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll do it on this tracing paper. So he typed up this story and sent it in and he got the most abusive, what the hell is this, from the editor. Uh, and all he had to do was stick it down on some white paper and he could have read it easily, but no, he wasn't having it. <laughs> so we had to go out and get paper and type it again. Oh, dear. Because <laughs> back then, the people forget, it was that, wasn't it? It was the, yeah. the lever hitting the paper. It wasn't, you can go yeah. backspace, backspace no, back then, could no. you? Oh, yeah. well, it was back in the days of typewriters. You had to judge whether a page was so messy that you couldn't send it in because you just cross out and cross out and... <laughs> and some pages they just look terrible <laughs> do people come to you and ask um, who are writing books about the history of 2018 do they come to you and ask your account and you think oh, I can't quite say that bit That's uh... well you, I, I said some things on my podcast with Michael Mulcher that got yeah. cut out oh did they oh, yeah. that's a long podcast as well yeah, there's yeah. a few pints sank in that podcast there well. was yeah <laughs> <laughs> I just wish we'd moved away from those women <laughs> That's on the 2000 AD podcast. Of yeah, laughing women at the next yeah. table. Yeah, there's nothing salacious there. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> We're fine. You know, and Pat, originally, I don't know if he said this in his book when he designed uh, Mach 1, originally when like, Mach 1 punched somebody, the head would come off or he'd punch right through them. Right. I, yeah. I thought that was great, but when the publishers saw that, they said, no. They do all do the time it. now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like The Boys or something like that. It's yeah. going to be all over it, yeah. 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 But they were gentler times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any stories from back in the sort of weekly comics you'd like to see come back? Well, you might even think about redoing or something like that. I'd love to see, um, for example, a backup strip in the back of rock, the next rock series. It'd be, you know, maybe a four-pager or something. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've never thought about it. Right. I, I like to create my own stuff and just go with it. Yeah, yeah. I'm never very comfortable working on someone else's. Okay. But even something you maybe created back in the day, you could... 
Oh, that's quite possible, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What do you think, um, we're almost at time now, guys, but what do you think Dread would make of rock? He wouldn't have any time for it. Wouldn't last long, no, really, oh, you no, think? No. Well, do you mean the comic? Or a rock no, the would, character. Uh, oh, rock would not a Dread. You think so? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't yeah. think so. It's a record. Well, it would actually. Yeah, yeah. Rock, rock is a pretty powerful alien. Yeah, yeah, When yeah. you come down to it, you wouldn't take on rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and last one, you get to kill one of your characters. Uh, yeah. Well, you know who this is going to be. I know where we're going with this. Yeah. <laughs> who do you kill? I would love to write the Death of Dread script. I've asked them. You have? They won't let me. No one. Okay. No. Even you know, if it was, I said, okay, it's like an Elseworld. So what if? Yeah. No. Well, let you do it. No. Are no. you? Can you confide in us a little bit with what these? I, I haven't given it any thought, really. Yeah. It's not worth my while thinking unless I'm going to be allowed to do it. <laughs> yeah. But I, I have considered doing it privately and sort of just selling a hundred copies or so. But like a bootleg death yeah, of dread. So, I yeah, like that idea. It, yeah. yeah. Giant's death in. Uh, Block mania. Uh, everyone complained about that, but the thing is, I mean, most people, if, if they get killed, it's just sort of incidental. You know, something falls on their head. Or, yeah, you know. yeah, they do, don't they? Yeah, yeah you hear about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, maybe that guy you left on the island all those years, the traffic island. <laughs> maybe you come back and do him. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a bit of social justice. Finally, <laughs> finally. Yeah. yeah. What's been your favourite character over the years? Well, I, I think, uh, well, there have been a lot that I've enjoyed. I like Button Man. Yeah. Obviously, I like Dread. Dread's, Dread's been very good to me. Uh, I like Strontium Dog, but especially I like Rock of the Reds and Bogeyman. Bogeyman, who we didn't talk about, yeah. Yeah. yeah we're, we're big fans of his. I've, yeah, got, well, I've got one copy of the Bogeyman book with me. Okay. I've got, there'll never be any more, so I don't want right. to keep a good bunch of them to... With your relationship with BHP, is that not something you would maybe bring back or consider? Oh, I, do, uh, it's, I don't have a very good relationship with the artist. Okay, right. So that's, that's the problem. Is it a sort of joint ownership thing, is it? Or? Yeah. It yeah, is? Yeah. Oh, okay. Same with rock. I mean, everyone down to the letter has got a wee piece of rock. Right, okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the letter hasn't got much, but he's got something. Yeah. And they, they, they never get recognised and... I think a, a good letterer is really important. That's Jim Campbell on Rock. Jim Campbell. Yeah, yeah. He's not just the letterer, though. He did the logo, which I think is a yeah. great yeah, logo. Great. Yeah. He does all the layout, and, you know, he's really, really good. Yeah. And his, his sound effects. A lot of letterers these days don't do good sound effects, but Jim's are superb. Brill. Nice one. Ladies and gentlemen, John Wagner. Talking of amazing Kickstarter tips and tricks, we're now going to hand it over to Sarah Grayley. Susie Gander and Rachel Smith, who's going to tell us all about their Kickstarter experiences. All right, everyone, they want to join the show? No. It's not a pan but come on, a little, a little <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, Right, so obviously, you guys know this is about crowdfunding your own comic. Three brilliant writers and artists with us. I'm going to go along. We've got Susie Gander, who does. I've got it written down, I'm sorry. Harry Winkle. Harry Winkle comic. <laughs> um, was during your time when you were fighting cancer, wasn't it? And you want to send it out to a lot of other places. So more like supportive in that not anyone's going through it, I imagine. Yeah, just uh, to um, understand what it's like to experience it, but also um, your inner superhero and your bit of hope fighting it along by the top. Yeah, brilliant. And of course, mm. I'm sure a lot of people would know Sarah Grayley. 
mm-hmm. has done a small run for uh, Arnie Press on the it was their little poopy superstar uh, storyline for Rick and Morty, and also Kim Reaper, which uh, yeah. was very successful. But you kickstarted your you did two super adventure comics one. You did our oh. super adventure, and then the one in America. Yeah, I uh, I kickstarted. Um, a collection called Our Super Adventure, which is my diary comic about me and my boyfriend and our four cats. Uh, and then I also just did, I also did a travel comic about um, my trip to the US when we were promoting Little Poopy Superstar. Um, so we did like San Diego Comic Con and stuff, but we also hung out in LA and New York. So that has less cats in it because obviously we can bring them with us. <laughs> uh, but I didn't kick out that one. I just, I just went for it. <laughs> but yeah, I went rogue. Done it. Yeah. Just can't stop me. Pow. Self-publishing. <laughs> and then last but certainly not least, you've got Rachel Smith, who did the Award of Wrong, um, which is about... There's another autobiography. Yes. Uh, so got a nice theme going, yeah? Yeah. Wired at Wrong was my autobio comic about um, me uh, kind of dealing with my anxiety and depression. Uh, but it's really funny. <laughs> I, always, <laughs> I always explain it and it sounds really bleak, but it is really funny. <laughs> but yeah. That's brilliant. So, um... When we answer the question, I'm just going to like go from obviously from Susie to Sarah to, to Rachel in your own time. But um, why did you guys decide to crowdfund instead of going to, I mean, like small publishers like Oni Press or Titan Comics when they did their static stuff? Why did you want to do it solely for the purpose of um, people just donating you money to get it through through the works? Um, I think for me, because it was just a, a personal thing, and it's my first time ever publishing or doing anything I'd, I'd done it as an online comic first so just sort of it was just out there um, and then I had some people say that it was helping them and they found it you know it was it was cathartic to them as well um, so it, yeah I think I just looked at redrawing it and and then again like people think have you got a print version may I have a, a copy and mm. I thought well I don't, I don't have one <laughs> um, so yeah looked into it looked into the, the the costs of everything uh, myself. Obviously, it was unfortunately it's not something that I could easily afford on on my my own. Um, so I thought I'd just put it out there and say, look, we we want we want to get this thing together to help people. It's you know we've been told it's been helping people, and let's see if we can we can really get it out there to the masses. And yeah, um, yeah and we were very lucky. Everyone got got on board, and everyone put in. I mean, the comic as well. We have a lot of. Um, sort of fan art almost that got sent in as well so that's in there which is really nice and it's just become a nice little um collective really so yeah that was mine really yeah awesome um i didn't think like i didn't think about pitching it around um i've done i've done like smaller collections in the past of our super adventure the black and white and about 40 comics each and i was like wouldn't it be buck wild though if i did 200 (laughs) oh they're all in color Oh, it's a hardcover. It's got gold foiling. This is expensive. I cannot afford this myself. So, um, yeah, I just like I just turned to Kickstarter and I was like, cool. Like maybe, hopefully, everyone else will be into this and we can make this book. And luckily, everyone else was. Yay! Thank you, everyone. <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That's me. Yeah. Uh, my answer is quite similar to Susie's actually, but um, so I did Wired It Wrong as a, a much smaller book. Um, at first and I kind of just did it so I had something new for Thought Bubble one year (laughs) and I thought you know some people might get a kick out of it and people bought it and and came back the next day saying it really helped them and that they found it very relatable um, and funny and it's very funny Um, (laughs) but uh, yeah so I decided to 
so I, I knew I needed more copies of the book because they sold out really quickly. Uh, but instead of just reprinting the 40-page the small book, I thought we could, now that I knew it had, you know, an audience, we could do something quite special. So I added 100 pages and did a new cover and we did like Spot EV on the, the cover and made it really nice, just a really nice sort of object to hold. Um, and I decided to go through Kickstarter rather than a publisher because... I wanted the people it was helping to kind of feel a little bit of ownership of it yeah. and, and feel a part of the project and, you know, and, and it's a book because of those people and, um, yeah, I guess I just wanted it to feel more of a personal thing rather yeah. than uh, the publisher being the middleman in, in, in that way. Fantastic. So why did you guys choose Kickstarter as opposed to like Indiegogo or even Patreon? Because that's like a succession of money coming in every month mm. to keep more projects going along. Or did you want to keep it nice, simple, just for people who wanted to back that specific project? Um, simple as possible for me. Again, <laughs> yeah. I was a complete noob. I didn't know what. It was just literally have a look. This, this is what's been suggested. This is what seems to be of use. I was learning as I was doing. It wasn't something that I've done before. Yeah. Um, so it was, yeah, that was just it for me. It was just the, the newbie decision to, to go to Kickstarter. Okay, um, Spike Trotman, who has done like a million mm-hmm. very, very good Kickstarters. I think at the time that I was doing mine, she had like a PDF out that gave you like really good ha- um, tips and stuff on how to run a Kickstarter successfully. Um, so that really helped. But um, I think of Indiegogo as well. It's like if the funds that like you... With Kickstarter, you need the funds to be raised to actually do the project, so it's all or nothing. Mm. Um, I didn't, I didn't want to make a commitment if like I got like half the funds, and it'd be like, well, I can't really do the book until we get all of them. So Kickstarter just seemed like the simplest and straight, most straightforward way uh, to go. Yeah. Um, yeah, Kickstarter for me, I'd used it before for my first graphic novel, um, which I kickstarted as part of Great Beast, which was a. Um, sort of an artist collective, if you like. Um, so I kind of knew, I already had an audience through Kickstarter, so I could email them and say, hey, I've got this new thing. And it, it that seemed a bit more straightforward than starting again on an, another yeah. platform. Um, I think you and I have both had Patreons as well. Yeah. You had a Patreon. Do you still do that? Or? I do, yeah. You do? <laughs> okay, I did Patreon for a year, <laughs> and then I found it a bit too exhausting. But it was a, it was a good year, and I, I got a lot of... Um, new fans and stuff and it was great um but it's kind of a different thing isn't it it's Mm. not it 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 won't sort of give you a lot of money at once to do a big project it's more like day to day like um and i was like it got me back into doing diary comics so in a way it got me to do wired up wrong because that's diary comics as well but yeah patreon's a very different beast isn't it (laughs) but but can also be very useful for creators Okay, so how did you guys figure out the strategy for using Kickstarter, like coming up with um, goals and rewards coming through? So you said it's like your first time, and then as you say, you looked at a PDF um, to help along with it. How did you guys decide your like specific style? I mean, how did you market it through your Twitter? I mean, I follow you on Twitter and Instagram, so and you pretty much daily there's stuff going up to like let people know what you're doing, where you're going. Um, is that like a big part or do you like listen to your fans about what kind of rewards they would want um, out of it? Um, I think my first uh, point of call was just having a look at what other Kickstarters were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of the, the, the more successful ones. That, you know. um, also to make it 
that the rewards be really, you know, be, well, it sounds silly, but really rewarding, you know, they've got to get something really decent out of it. If they're investing their time and money into you, essentially, so it's about putting the, the right the right stuff in there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, and then once I had an idea of what rewards I thought would be worth having on there, um, I just run and pass some of the awesome comics guys, or I run and Past a group or of friends, and just say, "Oh, what, what do you think? Do you think this is reasonable? Would it be?" Um, so it was almost like a, a peer process. Yeah. Just getting that second look at it to make sure that I'm doing the right thing, and then it obviously went up from there. And yeah, it went pretty well. Okay, so how did, did you do like a lot of social media as well to get it out there? Yeah, a lot of social media: Facebook, Twitter, um, Instagram. But I kind of got off Instagram a bit. I'm <laughs> getting a bit old. I don't quite understand Instagram. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so I've done that, and um, tw- Twitter, I think, mainly, mm. you know, is you can do a simple picture, a simple tweet, and, and you, can, you can get it out there, and it raises awareness, and you can just get an RT or a retweet or something like that. Um, so yeah, and it's, it's just nice, because it's a nice way to connect with everybody, and if people are feeling the same way, and uh, I think there was one point where, sort of before it got redone, uh, redrawn, sorry, I sort of stopped it because I was really quite unwell I was in hospital for the last week and I couldn't mm. get it done um, and I got an email from a young lady um, and I did tear up on me I cried um, it was on it was on De- I never say this right is it Deviant Art yeah, yeah. yeah. it was on there and um, it was a young girl and she'd drawn her nan as periwinkle but in a different colour to represent that form of cancer that her nan had just been through and How nice and, is that? And that? Yeah, I burst, absolutely burst mm. into tears. And it, that was almost the, the stepping stone to say, actually, right, get this finished and get back on it yeah. and get it redone because it's helped this girl enough that she's contacted me and said this about her, her grandmother and, and it's helped her. So that's that's what was important. So it was the springboard. So, so that's, I think that's where communication is so key with, with everyone, I think. Thank you for that. That's mm-hmm. great. I can't follow that up. That was <laughs> <laughs> emotional story. I like tweeting about cats. I can't yeah. even remember the question now. <laughs> but I, I, I can though, if you want me to. No, yeah, yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> everyone's different. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I mean, um, I also just looking at similar Kickstarters. So if you if you want to do a Kickstarter, looking at what people, similar books that have mm. run on Kickstarters, I think it's really important. Um, sim- like look at what other people are doing as goals but um, also for me when I ran my Kickstarter I posted a new comic each day um, and then linked to the Kickstarter so I was like constantly posting about it but I was like hey here's a new here's a new strip from the book mm. um, but yeah posting a comic every day is very very hard but I had 200 of them so I was like this is no problem <laughs> but I wouldn't like I mean if you're like I'm doing a webcomic and I'm going to post a comic every single day I'm like wait up that's tough but doing it just for the Kickstarter for a month was okay. Mm. Yeah, that was that was possible. <laughs> but yeah, that's what I did. Um, yep. Kept it like visible. I yeah, guess. like constantly like, hey, what's up? What's up? What's yeah. up? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. yeah, the first the first Kickstarter I did, I was very excited, and I did too many reward tiers. I got <laughs> we did badges, we did posters, we did. At one point, we were talking about doing like drumsticks <laughs> thankfully we didn't do that because I was stupid but I got excited and I did all this stuff and I should have just kept it simple so the the wired it wrong one I kept it very simple mm-hmm. and um, I think there was only like three reward tiers it was the book 
the book signed and sketched in or the book with an original page and that was it like we kept it very very simple that was good <laughs> that was good um and yeah just posting about it on social media a lot and and again yeah like sarah i released some of the pages um i did lots of uh press stuff i i emailed a lot of people who would feature the kickstarter on their website and stuff and i got leaflets printed that i sent out to comic shops with very nice letters asking them to put it on their um, counters um yeah just stuff like that um and just i think i oh yeah i took out facebook ad i don't know how well that did but um i had a go (laughs) it was my first one um but yeah just trying to get the the word out as much as possible and it obviously if i did a I did a couple of conventions while the um, campaign was on, so I was talking to people about it and giving out leaflets and stuff. But yeah, just, so just trying to push it. Well, mm-hmm. probably just trying to push it as much as possible mm. within um, reasons what you're dealing with. I think there's a fine line as well, though, because you don't want to push it too much yeah. and annoy people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well. I but always find to... it. Sorry, go no, just no, go and carry on. <laughs> I always find it a bit annoying when people like private message me asking oh, yeah, I don't like I, that. that makes me really <laughs> uncomfortable <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah don't target individual people saying hey can you support my Kickstarter or can you retweet this tweet I always find that a little mm, bit yeah. Ugh. Um, and I, I can understand why people do it. It, it it must work sometimes otherwise they wouldn't do it but yeah it always leaves me with a bad taste in my mouth so, so there's a right way to connect and there's a wrong way clearly I mean yeah, everyone's Different, your mileage may vary, but for, for, for me, for my taste, that's a little bit... Yeah, I think yeah. just let it, let it expand naturally. Don't force it. If people are enjoying mm. it, then they will retweet it. They will... Don't don't pressure someone to do it. You know, mm. if, they, if they like your work, they'll spread the word and they'll talk to you about it. Mm. I think that's the, the, the right way to do it. Otherwise, it's just coming across as the, the hard sell and... That mm. people are just like, no, I'm really no, terrible at the hard stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just feels really unnatural. <laughs> One thing I would say, if, if you're um, thinking of doing a Kickstarter campaign, when you launch it, I would not have anything else to do that day because you'll get a lot of questions <laughs> about what it is <laughs> that you're doing, even though you make it super clear what it is. Like, <laughs> 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 is it a book? Yes, it's a book. <laughs> But yeah, just be very patient with people. <laughs> so how did you guys find it individually running Kickstarter, especially when you were going through, um, I imagine, your chemo and all the other life problems that come along? I mean, is there ever a time that you just thought, oh, I just want to take a step back and kind of block it out? Because I can imagine it would be quite daunting having all these people back because you all raised quite substantial amounts of money for these brilliant projects and you've got that massive expectation to hit. I'm sure you all did. I've seen quite a few of your pieces and they're absolutely brilliant. <laughs> but, I mean, how did that affect you? I mean, not only emotionally, but physically and splitting your time up between family, friends. Yeah. Splitting time up is <laughs> difficult. Yeah. <laughs> it still is now. Um, you know, my, my poor husband who's here. <laughs> you know, I, I commute in the morning, I have a day job and then mm. I have to do it when I get home and that kind of thing. And I think with the Kickstarter um, on top of that, was a challenge and then obviously the kick to tell you my whole week now it's going to be really bad but chemo was on the Thursday you kind of were feeling okay Friday Saturday you're feeling okay Sunday you felt awful and then Monday was like no I'm not going anywhere and then Tuesday you'd be back to work so you kind of had these little pocket or windows where you were you were at essentially your best at that time and you would get on with it in, in that period of time so it was almost it became um, a, 
plan. Chemo became a, a structure of the day and everything else went around. So it. you really did just like, I know I'm going to be okay at yeah. this point. That's when I've got to get this amount of work done. Yeah, and it was literally like that. It was like, this is no-go uh, out-of-order days and this is yeah. just the, we can we can do this phase. And it stayed like that. It was just, it sounds really weird, but it became routine. Mm. That's yeah. just how it how it worked in those days. And I think it worked out quite well. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> um, Something I didn't think about was how much space the books would take up. Mm. So um, I kick, my Kickstarter was for like a 200, pay, um, 200 strip collection, um, hardcover, and then like about that thick. So I had like, I ordered like over a thousand of them and then they came, they turned up at my house and I was like, oh heck, I do like, and then my heart, like the whole downstairs was just like boxes and boxes and boxes. So um, I really enjoyed fulfilling the Kickstarter though. It's, it's something mm. really satisfying, but like putting your packages together <laughs> and then like you ship like a chunk off and it's like, oh, that's like 30 other people I don't have to worry about anymore. <laughs> and then you do the next 30 and it, you eventually get your living room back, which was awesome. But it was, yeah, just something I did not think about until <laughs> like oh, they all arrived and I was like, oh, awesome. Excellent. <laughs> cool. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's totally... Um, uh, luckily, my partner helped me out with it, and it totally motivated us to get um, the rewards out a lot faster. Um, I think my post office was really mad at me, though. Oh, um, God, yeah. So I had Mine to... Too. It's so horrible, right? Because you're like, <laughs> I, I don't want to hurt you. I just <laughs> want to take my post, please. I want to pay for the services you're providing, yeah. but you're getting really annoyed with me. <laughs> but um, it was cool, because then like, it got to the point where uh, my local post office, like uh, the lady behind the counter just openly hated me um so but then i learned that you can drop post off at the depot and they give you like mailbags and stuff so i upped my postage game so that was pretty cool but like there was a month or two where i was just like i don't want to go to the post office but i have to go to the post office and the lady's gonna be mean to me and she always was but yeah no it was good it was good experience don't forget about postage I forgot about it. No, I know. That's so much. That was my. mentioned a lot, actually. When you you always must include because about a third of the the donations will be put into posting out your rewards. Mm -hmm. And I can imagine that is very. And we have some in America and some in Sri Lanka because one of my old school tutors is is helping in Sri Lanka and he orders and those copies to have there. So yeah, just remember postage. (laughs) (laughs) That was a lot of money. Um, yeah, we did the drop and go thing mm. at the post office, which is a lot easier, and they don't hate you as much. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've got anything bad that wasn't really uh, spoken about. I mean, yeah, my uh, partner helped me a lot as well. Thank God he can drive. Cause, oh my gosh, same. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'd have been like going down the hill with my big suitcase of packages to the post office. Yeah, yeah, d- d- ditto. Okay. <laughs> Now, how do you guys, um, obviously, when you do a lot of your publications, you want to go to as many cons as possible, actually, within, obviously, reason of affordability and travel. Do you purposely pick the smaller ones like this one that focus on indie comics and, like, Thought Bubble especially? Um, or do you, you know, go to a lot of the MCMs? Because you do get a lot of independents that go to, to go to the big dogs, mm-hmm. you know, to try and do their best. I mean, how, how do you guys choose which ones to go to, um, like, monetarily, like, within, like, how much money you think you're going to make? Or how much... Are, how many eyes are going to look at your stuff and then go on to share it with everyone else? Um, <laughs> I kind of follow the um, awesome comics talk by the rest. Oh. <laughs> to be honest with you, I just follow Tony. <laughs> um, no, it's uh, yeah. Uh, to be fair, I do speak, but obviously they 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 are my uh, mentors, if you will. 
being the newbie, so mm-hmm. I will ask them what's the best place to go or the yeah. best atmosphere. But for me, it's atmosphere. <laughs> I'm not sales aren't my. But you know, that's stuff nice, obviously. Yeah. But I quite just prefer having a good day. To be honest with you. Okay. Um, so um, um, I think this is about my fourth uh, con. So. I'm mm. true believers, Nottingham and that, so I'm still getting into the, the swing of it, yeah. and where's the best place to go, but I'm just enjoying in doing all these new places at the moment, so but in, in time that will probably shift and it'll be like actually this one's the one I want to go to, but for now I'm just enjoying the ride. Okay, yeah, it's <laughs> just going to be fun, I like yeah, it. Cool. Nice. Um, <clears throat> I think I've been doing comic shows for like six years now, or maybe five, I've lost count, <laughs> but um, I totally have favourites, um, so, but I, I really enjoy the MCM shows, um, but they are a totally different atmosphere, and they are very draining at the end, mm. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I look forward to them, and I think as well, if you keep doing a show, you get like a, a fan base at each show, so yeah, I have like re- people that will keep coming back, which is really awesome. Um, but I think for deciding shows as well now, it's just, uh, it's like deadlines have become a factor for me. Um, so it's like, do I have time to do the show as well as get my work in and, um, or am I just going to be really tired? But, um, I mean, I, I really enjoy doing shows and stuff. It's really awesome putting out books and then actually, you know, getting them out there. That's like a really, that's a really fun part of comics. So, um, I like to do as many as possible. But I have my favourites. Hmm. Um, yeah, again, there's, <laughs> there's not much to add. Um, yeah, it's, it's nice to try out new shows um, because obviously you'll be accessing new audiences. Um, I love Thought Bubble in Leeds. It's probably my favourite. Well, it's the one I do the best at. So it's where my, where my people are, I suppose. Um, and... You know, independent shows like this, I I, I do okay at, and um, I love TCAF in Canada, which is basically just thought bubble but in Canada. <laughs> and yeah, and I think me and you are going to try and go to New York. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, and like the MCM London shows, it, it will be exhausting. It's like four days, isn't it, in New York? It's four days, and I think it's yeah. from it goes on till eight at night. Yeah, which is Jesus. really fun. Um, <laughs> and yeah, like Sarah, I have to remember how much time that's mm-hmm. going to take out of my, you know, time where I could be making comics. Because uh, I always forget there's, there's always a day that you spend getting ready for a convention. And because I'm an old woman now, I need a day to recover from a convention. So it's like, <laughs> I, and I, I, I always forget that. Even though I do so many shows, I always forget the time it, it takes out. Um, so yeah, I'm. I am trying to still do new ones though. This is my first time at Leamington um, Comic Con, and it's been lovely. Uh, so yeah, I, I do still try and, and do new ones, but I'm trying to cut back a little bit at the same time. Yeah. But, um, they are a bit addictive. Do you find that? Like, <laughs> I get. I uh, I booked too many shows last year, mm. so I was doing like a show every week, and I did like oh, I did geez. small press expo in Washington. But then the next weekend was Fort Bubble. Then the, then I had like my birthday weekend. Then I went to New York Comic Con. Then I came back and it was like London or something, mm. or I was doing a signing. And at the start of it, I was like, "Yeah, comics this is so much fun." <laughs> and then at the end of it, I was like, "I'm so tired. Yeah. Like, I'm ready to just die for a week." But I didn't. Yeah, so here, spoilers. Um, but yeah, it was it's fun. But um, I always get like really stoked for it, and then I get really tired, and mm. then. I have a month off and then I get, I'm like back like, yeah, come on, come on, let's go. <laughs> kind of thing. But yeah, 
I guess, yeah, yeah. Pizza okay. truffles. Yeah. <laughs> two more questions before we open up to all these lovely people that mm. I hope have questions, and if not, think of them. Please. Um, you got time. Do you have, you've mentioned like, like postage and managing your time, but are there any like key points for any budding creator that they should really, you know, try and focus on or maybe take your advice if they want to do a Kickstarter? I mean, everyone has their own way of doing it, but is there anything like collectively you think should be focused on or maybe try out before? Um, keep people updated mm -hmm. um, is key. I think even if something's going wrong or something's Slightly delayed, even if it's only for a little bit, just drop them a message and, and let them know so they're, they're in the loop all the time. Mm. Um, and I think don't hesitate on it, just go for it. If you're thinking about doing it, just do it. Because if it doesn't if it doesn't work out the first time, don't worry, you could try again another time. Just adjust your strategy slightly. You know, it's the, what do you lose from trying it? You just it's just you just gain experience. And I think that's, that's really important. Yeah. Um, I say if you're doing a comic Kickstarter. You probably should do a comic beforehand kind of mm. thing um just so you know the ropes and stuff and i think having like a i think it, it, it's good to have like a pre-existing fan base but then again i not i don't know maybe maybe everything works i don't know <laughs> that's what i did though <laughs> i did i did comics for a bit i got a bit of a readership and then i went for it so yeah 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 i self-published a few things a few mini comics before i did the House Party Kickstarter, which is my first like graphic novel with with a spine and stuff, um, and I kind of it was nice because I kind of realised I had an audience that I didn't know I had. <laughs> I was like, oh, all you guys. <laughs> um, but yeah, my mini comics before that, I did very low print runs, and you know, I I, I started off very small because that's all I could afford really, um, and then yeah, but you know, you can start small with Kickstarter. I mean, mm. I wanted six grand for Why That Wrong, but I see some where they just want a couple of hundred to print, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. a, a little mini thing. So you can start small with Kickstarter and, you know, it's not it's not how I, I did it, but, you know, I see some that get funded and so, yeah, don't be scared to give it a bash. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I would say just keep it simple. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no drumsticks. Um, I think I saw someone, like, point out, if you're going to do stretch goals or you're going to do, like, backer rewards it's nice if everything actually fits in like the same size envelope so you're not doing something that because <laughs> mm. um, it just complicates everything yeah. Um, so yeah like patches and pins are really nice they're small they fit in stuff so I sticker recommend shoes. those yeah sticker shoes everyone loves stickers as well who <laughs> doesn't want stickers yeah you get shiny ones see through ones <laughs> the world's your oyster <laughs> stickers <laughs> That's big one is, do any of you have any new projects in the works that we can talk mm. about I mean I think that's what everyone looks at. I've got a couple of fans here, especially in, obviously, like you said, your fan base is all over the place. Is there anything more that we can um, see or maybe another Kickstarter? Anything really? I'm just trying to stretch that question as well. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Tony, am I allowed to talk about it? Yeah. <laughs> there we go. So, been given. <laughs> so um, Tony and I are working on a comic called Coffee House Barbarians. Okay. It's written by Tony and drawn by myself, and I'm going to say no more than that. <laughs> it is going to be at Nottingham. It will Sweet. be. Promise. Yeah, Promise. The plan is for Nottingham, um, and it's different, but it's going to be fun. From from the pages I've had so far, it's going to be fun. From the sounds of it, it's going to be fun. Yeah, yeah. so that's, that's absolutely brilliant. That's Can I ask how the name? How you come up with the name? Can I ask that? Yeah, Susie sent me a drawing of barbarian. They can't write a story about it. <laughs> <laughs> Rather than put in. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we went down to Hoxton 
and yeah. Tony bought yeah, Chris. We bought Chris yeah, and yeah, I yeah, our yeah, first yeah. proper <laughs> London pie and mash, like yeah, proper with the parsley gravy. Very nice. Um, so that's the first one in the works. I've got something going on with Chris Sides, um, which I can't talk too much about. There's something that I've completed with Jay Martin, which should hopefully be out soon. Okay. Um, uh, potentially something in the work with John Late, and um, there are some little heroes and true believers anthologies in the works. I know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The beard's in control. <laughs> That's, that's uh, quite a lot then. Yeah, Lots I've got a lot, mm, lot going on at the moment. So, but the, within the next two, two, rest of this year in 2019, potentially for Chris Sides. But yeah, I've got a big sort of portfolio to go through. Fantastic. Great. Good luck with that. Thank you. Sarah, anything from you? Um, <clears throat> for the past year, I've been working on um, my graphic novel for Scholastic and Graphics. Um, it's called Glitch. But it's not coming out until next year. So, but I am currently working on. I also do a series called Kim Reaper with Oni Press. Um, so the first arc's out now. It's called Grim Beginnings. You can get it from my table. Oh, promo. Um, but there's also a second arc coming mm, soon. Release date will be announced. But I'm currently working on that. It's really good. So that'll be hitting comic shops, and you should totally get on that. And then secrets. <laughs> <laughs> but watch out for them because they're not going to be secret for much longer. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I got permission from my editor yesterday to announce my new book right now. Um, this is an exclusive. This is an exclusive. Um, yeah, my new book is coming out with Unbound next year. Uh, probably Thought Bubble next year. We're going to try for if I can um, get the pages done. Uh, and my new book is called Isabella and Blodwin. And it's about a 16-year-old, very precocious young girl and a malevolent, fun-loving witch. And, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, and Unbound uh, uses crowdfunding to fund their projects, so it fits quite nicely with this um, this uh, topic. This whole theme. Yes. Absolutely <laughs> fantastic. Right. So has anyone got any questions about anything? We've got one at the back. Right. What are your thoughts on now? I guess like stretch goals are nice because you know that there's like the regular goal and there's something more to aim for but um, I think a lot of people introduce them after the goals actually met because it's like I guess you want to keep focus on the actual main goal mm. um, but yeah I mean I like I like stretch goals because it's like it's exciting it's like oh we've raised the funds and now we can make more cool stuff like uh, but yeah um, I've also seen kickstarters that just don't have them and mm. they do really well. So. No, we we never had stretch goals. Yeah, we, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even know what one was. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I've always had a, a couple, but I think it's a bit cocky to say them right at the start. <laughs> um, I would always wait until I'd got funded, the you know the minimum amount, and then I'd be like, okay, we can do more stuff. And, I am. Um, I didn't think about stretch goals for my Kickstarter, and then my Kickstarter goal got like hit in two days or three days so it's like nice. oh heck and then I had to and I was like I have no idea what to do for these so um I kept I was just coming up with them as I went along so I was like it'd be cool to make this and this and this mm. so um but I would recommend if you're doing a kickstarter uh figure out those stretch goals first um mm. but yeah maybe be like oh this is gonna be a fun reveal <laughs> just so yeah you got another one how many weeks prior to the Kickstarter launching did you think about setup? Mm. Was it a long period for example, before Kickstarter launch? Was it kind of, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it now? 
I was probably a bit of thinking about it, checking with the guys. If they said yeah, then I did it. <laughs> it was pretty much just like that, die straight in. But then again, like I said before, I think I'm just one of those people that was the was the worst that could happen if it doesn't work. Mm. So I thought I'd just go for it. Um, I guess something I was thinking about for quite a while. Like I knew that I wanted to do my 200 collection book thing, um, but I was like, I've got to draw the book. So it was, I, I, I knew I wanted to do it, but like I got more of the book made first, and then I did a lot of planning around my Kickstarter just because, like, apart from stretch goals. <laughs> but um, yeah, I didn't. It's it's nice to. I just really wanted to be prepared and know what was going in, and like make sure all the amounts were ready. So I gave myself a lot of time to make sure that I could figure that all out. Um, but yeah, I, I think it was something that was just brewing for a while. Um, but then also, like, I I really like scheduling. So <laughs> I schedule, like, a lot of stuff. Like, I've known what my 2018's workload has been for, like, the past, like, since 2017. So that's the kind of person I am. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, a couple of months for me, I think. Uh, yeah, because I had the small book already done um and yeah i just drew the 100 pages and like tried to do a couple of days yeah a couple of months <laughs> another question do you use kickstarter for finding new books to read as well as selling your own work hmm. um do you think it's a good way to find I don't, I don't actively search on Kickstarter, but if my friends are having the Kickstarter, it's like, I want to support them. So I, I do back my friends' Kickstarters, but I don't, or it's like, if I'm, I mean, sometimes every now and again, like a really, a really good looking Kickstarter turns up in my Twitter feed and I'm like, I check it out and I'm like, Ooh, oh yeah, okay, go on, man. <laughs> but it's not, it's not a platform I actively search through, but when it comes across, I, I do check them out and sometimes back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, to mirror that really like any, if anyone shares anything and if there's a, a section on the podcast or something where they have a kickstarter recommends so we'll jump in and have a look and you know see if someone can go through the same experience we've been through and all it's going to be as a fiver from us to back that and we get like for example the Everton, the Everton Brothers I mean that's amazing mm. what they've just done and we're going to get it's like 300 page of tutorials that's amazing mm. so it's, to do something like that and help each other out um, and generate that community that we have and only strengthens it I think it's the best thing to do is to to kickstart and help each other out as much as we can even without kickstart you know what I mean if they haven't kickstarted it just go buy their comic anyway mm. you know it's what this is what it's about yeah uh, very occasionally I'll go through kickstart and search for comics usually when I'm avoiding doing work that I need to do um, but yeah you, like Sarah usually it, I, I'll be made aware of things on my Twitter feed and and uh, Facebook and stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've got any more? Oh, there we are. How do you decide on your pricing? Obviously, you've got to consider the production costs and your postage. Remember it. But how, how do you set on how much of your time is being paid for? Because obviously, a 100 page comic is not something you just rock off in a weekend. Mm. So, how, how do you decide on your kind of final pricing? Um, I pretty much just sent it, sent it to a few people said what, what was the average or what would you pay for because hmm. parents was 44 I think it's 44 pages in total um, so it was just really getting the guidance of what what that figure would be and most people said half fiver and it was mm-hmm. okay fine if that's if that's what people recommend then fiver it is and that's it <laughs> I think 
thinking about how much you'd want, I guess you'd be biased, but like how much you would pay for what you're making. Like if, if yeah. Um, also just comparing like similar titles um, with page count and themes and stuff like that. So yeah. <laughs> How much would I pay for this if I didn't have a house full of a thousand of them? <laughs> <laughs> um, also, like I, I personally like round price points. They're easy, mm. and yeah, I, I also like I want my comics to be accessible for people. So um, I try, I try and keep it like a, a good, not expensive price. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I guess I just try and contextualize it with what else is available that's similar. Um, yeah. Thank you for that. We've got any more questions? How do you deal with sort of awkward Kickstarter, awkward <laughs> funders? Um, not not an awkward funder so much, but an absolute error on my part. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I had a, a a print issue on my first batch, and um, obviously I'd sent all these the, the, the Kickstarter rewards out, and obviously I had some in Sri Lanka and some in America, and I'd already paid for this yeah. found out about this print error because um, the proof was fine there was a little bit of an issue obviously at the print place my fault I didn't cross check I just assumed it was going to be the same and I badged it all up so I had to write an apology and resend out all of the the postage and everything like that double, and send the, <laughs> double the postage you'd already not all the way to <laughs> but um and i think that was to, to just be honest though with mm. things like that you know i didn't try and fluff it up i just said print error sorry about that here's a free sort of mm. you know like a little print nothing ever came back from it but it's just just complete and honesty throughout is key hmm, oh my that was your fault if you approved the proof. oh no i should have checked the 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 actual delivery i didn't check the delivery oh, okay. i just assumed <laughs> in, uh, you know to assume makes an ass out of you and me <laughs> i mean i yeah i was quite lucky in that i've not had any you know huge problems with the the printing or anything i've had oh, on the house party my first kickstarter i had a few people get annoyed with me with how long it took to ship them out and I think but that was kind of my fault because I wasn't transparent with them they thought I don't know they just a bunch of people assumed that I had this whole like team of people mm. and I, and they uh, one guy was just like you need to talk to the people who are <laughs> handling your shipping and I was like it's just me it's just me and at this time i didn't even have adam so he wasn't driving me i was it was literally me in a suitcase going to the post office around the corner who hated me and <laughs> so i and the, with wired it wrong i was really like it is just gonna be me so you know <laughs> i don't have this big company behind me that's gonna fulfill everything it's just me but i'll do it as fast as i can and that you know i that was a lot better like managing people's expectations but yeah that, i i never said that there was a big conglomerate you know smith corp there's it's just, <laughs> you know but for some people people just assume that you've got these big companies behind you there but yeah so people can be funny about it and <laughs> yeah. i I, I I don't remember anyone being rude with my Kickstarter, but I've had people be rude to me through my shop, and it's wild because it's like um I, I now I just know to be like as clear as possible. A lot of, I get like a lot of international orders, and people are like they order it in America, and then three days later they're like, why isn't it here? And it's like mm. I've listed on the site it will take six weeks to arrive. But if anyone's rude to me, um I'll just 
I'll ignore the email for a couple of hours <laughs> and like, I won't, I'm not going to reply to it. And then I'll reply with my calm, really nice and polite. So if you mean to me, I'll be polite to you, but I'll be secretly mad. <laughs> so just know that. But yeah, it's, um, it can be frustrating, uh, but I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think sometimes people understand that it's just mm. like a very DIY thing sometimes. And that's rude, <laughs> but mm. that's fine, whatever. <laughs> I got, uh, like, I have no proof of this, but I got the impression when I did my first Kickstarter, a lot of the people were ordering from Kickstarter for the first time. Mm. So maybe they didn't really know the etiquette or the, the, the sort of the lowdown on how people usually uh, do these things. But, mm. I don't know. That's me being very, very fair. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they were just <laughs> obviously you guys just mentioned that the problems with certain people are printing were there any other problems that did come up during the kickstarter or after kickstarter that could help anyone who wants to create a comic maybe avoid um that problem like obviously proofreading your delivery <laughs> yeah. and um responding to <laughs> calmly <laughs> very calmly the other thing it's a bit i don't like talking about money but if you have large you know if you've got large rewards which are a large cost, so say you've got like £200 or something, and somebody backs it, there is the chance that that fund won't come through mm-hmm. from said individual for whatever reason. So it's always key to remember that even though the funds are there on the screen, what your total is may not be what you get because the funds may not come through from the, mm. the backup. They take a so chunk as well, don't it, they? Yeah, mm. it, it always got to remember it's less than what you're, you're factoring in for. So yeah. Plan for worst case scenario sometimes. Okay, that's very good actually. Yeah, a buffer is a good idea because as well, it's like you might, your, some of your books that you ship out might go missing, so then you've got to pay mm. for more postage, which is a bummer. Um, so yeah, that's, yeah, factor in a buffer. Um, also, I think it's good to just be transparent with the, um, mm. with all the costs and stuff. Um, yeah. I can't think of anything that hasn't. <laughs> it's hard being the last one. No, really <laughs> <laughs> I have to like really think of new things to say. Yeah, just being very patient and being very thankful. Mm. You know, doing updates sometimes to just say, "Oh my god, thanks guys, this is amazing." Mm. I, I did a lot of those, just going, "Oh my god, I <laughs> um, didn't expect this to go so well." Because yeah, people Kickstarters that kind of thing. People want to know about you and about how the project's going. And, so yeah, just make sure you keep people updated, even if it's just to say that you're really happy, because you know that's important yeah. as well. It yeah. wouldn't it wouldn't be there if it wasn't for them. Yes, exactly. Right. It's so it's their thing as well. They're an investor, mm-hmm. so you know that these this we this would not be possible without the backing of these people. Mm. So it's, and it's down yeah, to them. that so personal thing, even if you're just saying, "Hey guys, I'm yeah." I'm ordering a pizza right now because I'm so happy with how this is gone. Like, you <laughs> yeah. know, people want that kind of thing. A little bit of personality. Yeah, yeah. they, they want to see yeah. the real you a little bit, I think. Yeah. Right, well, that's it. Thank you very much for that's that. It. I hope Thank everyone you. else enjoyed it. I thought it was brilliant. Um, <laughs> I hope I was okay. First time and everything. So you were great. You did good. So I assume you'll be obviously promoting all your very exciting new projects, mm-hmm. like a, a very coffee place Coffee house, which I'm, I'm gonna I have to read because that sounds <laughs> phenomenal um to get their twitter check out their books if you haven't already yeah a lot of the books that we've talked about you can come and buy them off of so please go so do, do that, that. And enjoy <laughs> the rest of the show thanks guys thank you so that was pretty much it from Leamington Comic Con for you today a uh, big thank you to Lisa Dan 
Spartown Comics and all the organisers, volunteers and helpers for the day. That was a great, fun experience. Me, Keith and Callum really enjoyed ourselves. We'll definitely be back next year and we hope you are joining there too. We might see you around there. And don't forget to visit Spartown Comics if you are in the beautiful town of Royal Leamington Spa. Thank you for joining us on Geeky Bonomi this week. Don't forget you can find us online in the week on Facebook, Twitters, Instagrams and on YouTubes. And we'll see you soon. Bye everybody. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this Brum Radio podcast. If you enjoy what we do, then please consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash Brum Radio.